way you are taking us and working things out for us. Forgive us for our sin of commission and omission. Continue to shield and protect us, our seed, family members, in the mighty name of Jesus, from all intended evil in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for blessing you have given us on last week. And we are trusting and thanking you in advance for this week's blessing. Father, prepare our hearts and mind to receive your rhema word on this morning. Father, I'm covering myself, the listeners, and our family member with the blood of Jesus that we will not get any backlashes from this prayer. Continue to bless the overseer of this ministry and his family. Give him favor with everyone that he needs favor from. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 The conference has been muted. Hi. Good morning, everyone. And uh, it is uh, really nice to be home and preach because, you know, it just gives a lot more comfort uh, to have all the resources at your disposal. And um, go ahead, Ms. Sarah, and uh, Brother Wrench, to put yourself on mute. Um, I, I just also, you know, wanted to recognize all of the conversation that we had just before this service. You know, many of you have taken the vaccine. Nearly 70 million people in this country have taken the vaccine. And um, uh, and the thing is, there's like, a, you know, yeah, there are some reactions, but here's the thing, that the God of this universe is just still has the blood on the doorpost of your house. And so, you know, don't let any of these things bother you. Um, you know, God's got you under the palm of his hands, and you are actually tattooed in his forearm. So, you know, we got like a more than what the world can offer. With that said, I wanted to go to a, a, a story that I read uh, about winter, right? One time uh, in, the, in the north somewhere, uh, American tribesmen went to their leader of their clan. And uh, they were asking the leader, uh, how long will this, win- win- will this winter last? It's already end of February, and March has started, and we still have, like, there's so much of cold out there. And they were asking for that leader to say, like, you know, some good words, right? But the leader said, oh, man, it's going to be really harsh winter. Uh, why don't you guys go gather some sticks for your families to stay warm, right? So... These men were just like a rushing to get like a winter, I mean, uh, the, the wood, right? And uh, while they went to look for the wood, all these families all over the town were just like getting into the forest trying to cut the wood. He was slowly picking up the phone and called the meteorologist and asked him, you guys are looking at this weather. Can you tell us like, you know, how long this winter is going to last? Uh, and the meteorologist said, like, man, it looks a little terrible, but, it, you know, it may last a little longer. So a couple of days and weeks went by, 
and the people came again and asked her, the, the tribesmen came and asked the leader, how long will this last, you know? And he said, like, oh, man, it's terrible. Why don't you guys go get some more wood? Uh, just get, like, as much wood as possible, right? And then after they left, he called the meteorologist and asked him, how is this looking? When is this going to end? He said, like, man, it's going to continue for a long time. So then a couple of weeks goes by, and the people are coming back and saying, it is terrible cold. Why is this not ending? Right? And then he said, like, go ahead. Gather more sticks. Third time. Right? And after they left, he called the meteorologist, and the meteorologist said, it's going to be a terrible winter, I believe, you know. Um, and, and so the, the tribe's leader asked him, you know, how are you so sure that this is going to last even longer? And the meteorologist said, like, all these Indians are collecting wood, so it should be getting a long winter for us. So sometimes, you know, the thing is this. We are always looking for an answer for a problem. And, and, and the thing is, the story, what it tells us is that, you know, sometimes when we go through this kind of like a winter period in our life, we are actually looking for somebody to come around and just like a give us like an answer for, like when the people were exiled in Babylon, the, the people were ex- expecting somebody to come and rescue them. When when Paul was in prison or when Peter was in prison, all of that prayer, was when we read them, it's almost like somebody, they want someone to come and rescue them. Or even if they don't come and rescue, they want to give some kind of like, a, you know, a direction when they go through, uh, you know, tough time, right? But what God has done and is doing in his word He's already given his word to us. He's already given his blueprint in a book. Uh, He's saying no matter what happens around us, uh, we should get comfortable with the season we are in. So this morning, as we are going to read these verses, even this story was just so apt for the reading. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 to 40. This is an amazing piece of uh, word. Uh, When I read it first time, it sounded like, oh my God, I cannot make anything out of this. Have you ever felt, sometimes when you're reading the word, it feels like, man, it's just like above my pay scale kind of a a word. (laughs) You, You don't understand. And you read it and reread it and reread it. And then God starts to open up and show a few pieces of this puzzle. So if you have your Bible, Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 to 40. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be hammered work. Its shaft its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and the flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its side. 
three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and the three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And three bowls made like almond blossom on the other branches, branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that comes out of the lampstand, on the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like an almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and a flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same. According to the six branches that extend from the lampstand, their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be also hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And to see to it that you make them according to the patterns which was shown you on the mountain. Why is God taking so much of a detail about this brilliant, majestic, golden lampstand, right? When you look at the picture of the tabernacle, right, you can come from inside or you can come from outside, right? We were actually coming from the Holy of Holies. We have seen so far what has happened to the Ark of the Covenant. We have seen what is inside the Ark of the Covenant. There are three pieces of elements that were there inside the Ark of the Covenant, right? And, uh, and the thing is that, uh, you know, uh, one of them is the, uh, the Ten Commandments, a bowl, a golden bowl containing manna, and the rod, uh, the rod that Aaron used, the priest Aaron used, and how God showed some of these things like almond bud and, uh, you know, flower and the nut in, in one of those rods. And, and then we saw the mercy seat that is on top of that Ark of the Covenant where there were two cherubims that were just like a pointing to each other with the mill containing the mercy seat for the Lord to speak to his people. Right? And God often spoke from sitting on that mercy seat when Aaron the priest went into the Holy of Holies. This is the place where 
God was just like, a, you know, uh, present, right? As Shanika presence of God was in that room, right? And the glory of God was just descended in that place. Now, when you come out of the Holy of Holies, the next room that we see is called a holy place, right? In the holy place, there are three things that existed uh, in that room. There is like a showbread, which is what we saw the last two weeks, where the showbread containing like a 12 breads that were sitting on that table that was made out of gold and that the, how the priests would come in and, uh, you know, take the bread and just like, a, you know, this is like a table where God has prepared for his people to come together. You and I are the priests. In the olden days, only the priests were entering into the holy place on behalf of the people. Right? And they ate this bread on behalf of the people. But today, you and I are the priests. We are that holy generation. In Christ, we are already ordained as the ministers of Christ. Right? And so we're invited to that table. And then in that same room, there are two other furnishings are there. There's this golden lamp stamp that we read. And then there is a bowl of incense. Well, We'll look at the bowl of incense once we finish the lampstand, right? The thing is that even within the temple, they both are like a placed in, in, in such a direction that it reflects of something that is going to be there uh, in the future, that we're going to see several references today to what is there today in the tabernacle reference to what we are going to see in Revelation, because the book of Revelation actually ends with this lampstand. I will talk about it a little later. But when you come into the Holy of Holies, on the northern side is this table of showbread, and then on the southern side of the tabernacle is where this lampstand was kept. And when we read some of the references in Ezekiel, we see like a how the northern side is a reference to heaven and the southern side is referenced to, to the earth. And that God, you know, wanted to have us in his mind when he was giving all these references about this lampstand, right? And so, the, the, the other part about this lampstand, before we get into, there are four things that I'm going to talk about, the significance of this lampstand and how does it apply to us today, right? But when they went into that holy place, this is this big giant tent, right? When they went into that holy place, the only light that the priest had was coming from this brilliant illumination, uh, you know, of this um, light that we read, right? And that the priests used this light to select, uh, do all their, you know, uh, things that they needed to do, the, the honoring, worshiping, praying, everything that they did when they went into the temple. It was like a pitch dark except for this seven lights that were burning. And then... 
when they go into the Holy of Holies, there is actually a veil. We see later when Jesus died on the cross, that veil is what is broken, right? But when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, that veil actually wasn't like the curtain that we see, meaning it wasn't something that they can just like push the curtain and go into the Holy of Holies. They have to crawl underneath the veil to go into the Holy of Holies. And the light that was inside the Holy of Holies was just merely the presence of the Holy God that just lit up the Holy of Holies, while this holy place where we are reading today was lit by the seven, you know, la- uh, the, the seven lamps that was in the, this candlestick or this big giant stick that we read. And the thing is this, in the, uh, there is like a two references that we see about this lampstand. lampstand. One is in Exodus chapter 25, and the other one is in Exodus 37. In fact, the descriptions in both those places are very similar to each other. And number two, when we read from Exodus 25, we see that 25 to 40, nearly 16 chapters talk about this tabernacle, right? Now, when we go into further details of this, we, there's so many symbols. Have you ever, like, a, you know, when I read that, like, a first two times, how many times knobs are used? How many times almond blossoms are used? How many times the, the different references to the cups are used? So we're going to see all of those things. And sometimes like when I read or like did some research, people were getting too deep into the symbolism. But we don't need to go too far in that direction. But we can learn a lot from what God is trying to say. It is all in plain text. This lampstand also uh, has like a huge significance in the life of Jewish people. When Romans captured Jerusalem, they actually captured, went into the temple and they carried everything from inside the temple and they were just like taking that uh, out and in mockery, right? And so, um, when the state of Israel was formed in 1948, when all that was given back to them to form a, a state as a country, right? The, the, the Jewish people remembered what the Romans did to them. And so they wanted to bring back all of the, the things that they lost. And one of the things that reminded them was this lampstand with seven lights, right? They call them as a menorah. So when they got the new country formed, their flag now contains this menorah that has the seven lights placed on them. In fact, they are so um, uh fascinated by this lampstand and what God has been telling them about this lampstand, they made this lampstand as their national emblem, right? Official documents that Israelis release 
the government buildings that they have and the Israeli passport has this lampstand. Isn't that amazing? What can an item that God spoke inside that tabernacle has an impact on people? There's so much symbolism in that first one. So I'm just going to dive a tiny bit inside that symbolism because it represents something. There is a reason why God is talking about this much of detail about the blossoms and the cups and the knobs. There's got to be something behind it, right? Last week, I was telling this to that, you know, the church that I was preaching on later, I was uh, saying to them that uh, that morning before going into the uh, the church, I, I, I felt like, I, I, you know, I needed to drink something. And I looked around, there was a Starbucks, so I was just like swinging by to pick up a tea. So when I went to the counter, I told them I need chai tea, right? And so she, that lady on the counter was very quick to ask, like, what's next? But I stopped her and I said, in that chai tea, I need 10 shots of chai. I just need 1% milk. And my milk needed to be extra hot. And I don't need a foam. And the cup, the, 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 the cup that, uh, you know, normally I get is like a 64 ounces. So I told her, I just need a little bit lower than the cup's height, right? Because I wanted to drink without the, the lid. And so when I was driving out to pick up the tea and came out, I was thinking to myself, my goodness, it was just a normal tea. How much instructions can you give for a tea that you're drinking, right? If that is the case for a tea that we drink, how much more the Heavenly Father with his, all his magnificence, when he is telling Moses about this lampstand, he's giving so much instruction. There's got to be more to this, right? So I started to look a little bit more. And I, just bear with me. I'm going to get to why this is all important, okay? In that, when I read it, and I saw some pictures, I saw some, you know, videos about this lampstand as well. There are 22 almond blossoms referred, right? Three on each of these arms and four in the center, right? And the, 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 the almond blossoms, right, um, that were there, when I counted them, it was like a close to 22 almond blossoms. There were 22, I mean, the buds that it's talking about, almond buds. And there are 22 knobs or cups that makes up this lampstand, right? In total, it is actually 66 of those elements put together to make this lampstand, right? And when we read the Bible, the Bible has 66 books in it, right? And those 22 almond blossoms that refers to in that lampstand, actually when we look at it, the Old Testament was written using 22 scrolls. Isn't that amazing? How each of these 
things that God is talking about has references that we can actually find. And there are 27 connection points in this lamp. Like when you see the, the knob here, the knob there, a knob here, a knob there, there are about 27 connection points that refers to the 27 scrolls that we find where the New Testaments were written, right? You add these two things, it comes to 49. But then 49 is again a 7 times 7, right? It's 49, so that's, you know, I don't want to go there. But after I counted all of these knobs and the flowers and the cups, right, and I see one extra cup on the top. There's one extra that I completely missed the counting. So now it becomes 50 instead of 49. And later, when I read in Revelation chapter 20, it says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book, this is Revelation 20, verses 12. Another book was opened, which is the scroll of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book. The 50th book we don't have, the 50th scroll that we don't have is in the hands of the Father, and he's going to open it when we get to heaven, when he's judging the living and the dead. And it's called the scroll of life. Hmm. What are you doing, Cyril? Where are you going? You said you don't want to be with the symbolism, and how come you're just like you're talking so much about these numbers, right? All of what the light is symbolizing is nothing but the Word of God. The Word of God is the light that this world is looking for. Actually, the priests were ordered not to let this light go down in the temple. And the Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His Word is the only light that the world needs today. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. It is a representation of the Word in this entire lighting that we see. At that point when that instructions were given to Moses, Moses did not know what these elements that God is referring to symbolizes. Why is God telling me with such detail? He doesn't know at that point. In fact, there were 21 lamp units are there which represents the 21 Old Testament prophets and 21 New Testament epistles. Right? The Bible says in John 8:12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me 
shall not walk in darkness, but have light of life. In another place, in John 14, 6, Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When you think about like the high priest walking into this temple or this tabernacle tent, they cannot get to two, the Holy of Holies, if only they don't have this light in the middle to direct them. And I was so fascinated, even by this lamp unit. I mean, all of this is pointing to the Word, right? The 21 prophet, prophetic books that we see in the Old Testament, Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the 12 minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Isn't that amazing? The 21 units of lamp units that we see point even to the 21 new epistles, uh, New Testament epistles, the letters that were written down from Romans to Corinthians, the first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, first and second, first and second Timothy, the letter to Titus, the Philemon, Hebrews, and the three letters, um, you know, first before that letter that James wrote, then Peter wrote three letters, uh, First and Second Peter, sorry, and then John wrote First, Second, and Third John, and the letter to Jude. All of these are pointing. Each of those elements are pointing to the Word of God. Today, you and I have this Word of God that God is describing in such length in our hands to, you know, to to, to shine so bright among the people. A lot of times, our, our light is not bright enough for the people to consume only because we ourselves are not consuming this light that God is talking to us about. All this symbolism aside, what is needed at the end is everything contributes to being the light not only for the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Not only for those that are saved, but also the unsaved. Not only for the white, black, and brown, but also to everyone in this world. The light that we have in our hand has to be taken care of. We need to take care of this light with such precision. God is talking about even this, this, this wick. That, that, that needed to be cleaned. Right? And he's talking about like the, how you can pour the oil into this uh, uh, lampstand. Why? Because if we don't take care of reading the Word of God, we won't be able to show the light that is reflecting on you and me. It plays such an important role. The Word of God is, uh, you know, 
it's, it's, it's just talked so many times, you, you know, in the Bible um, about this word. But how are we taking this seriously? If God is taking, God could have just written like a one epistle. God could have written just like a one book. God could have just like a written like a one passage and said, live well. He, he wrote the Ten Commandments. He could have been done with it. He could have said, like, follow this. That's all my religion people will do, right? But no, in the Bible, it's talking about, like, a, what happened in the past, what is happening currently, and what's going to happen in the future. You and I have this lamp of God in our hands. The second symbolism that I saw, or the things that I saw when reading, is this almond blossom. And I was wondering, what is, what is up with this almonds and God? Why is God paying so much attention and giving so much about this almond? We saw already how uh, almond blossomed in Aaron's rod, which is inside the Ark of the Covenant, where that, that overnight... A dead piece of wood that was used for walking and a guiding stick by Aaron. When it was submitted under the authority of God, it turns into something more meaningful. It turns to something more than just the rod because he surrendered the rod. And I just read this somewhere. God's work done in God's way will get God's results. The thing is this, a lot of times we are just like making our own way through this jungle. And that's why God is saying, I am the one you need to trust. I'm the one who brings you the help. And in fact, the world is a full of like darkness, like there's like, uh, you know, so much of like a negativism goes around. In fact, on Friday night when we were talking at the Bible study, we, we were saying like a how even the fear of other gods, which is what it is, the, when we fear for the lack of money, when we fear what will go, what's going to happen with business, when we fear what we, is going to happen with our family, when we fear what is going to happen to our marriage, when we fear what is going to happen to our children, when we fear what is going to happen to our health, when we fear all of these things, we are fearing a God. And the Bible says in, in Judges chapter 6, it actually insults God when we fear other gods. And in fact, when we look at this almonds, that's one of the things that just like it comes to my mind when, when there is a spring coming, right? Only then we get like all these leaves start to come out and the flowers start to come. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to see the spring come back into this nation, right? But the, we're going to see the, the, the trees turning into this bright 
you know, leaves, like coming out of those empty branches. But you know what? Almonds blossom, you know, in the middle of the winter. In the middle of the winter, almonds are the only trees that starts to blossom. What is God saying when he put the almond blossom in the middle of that lampstand? He is saying he controls the life. He controls even when the things around us look dead in the winter. He can still blossom almonds out of those empty trees. The buds of those almonds, when they come out, the scientists are saying these almond buds that come out, they actually bend down towards the direction where the light comes from. Isn't that amazing? When God puts this almond buds and flowers in this uh, lampstand as a symbol, what he already knew is the characteristic of that almond, right? That bends down. And when we look at these lights, they are facing upwards towards the heaven. And this almond buds, the, you know, when they are coming out, what is another fascinating fact about these almonds is that the leaves come after the flowers bloom. Isn't that amazing? Nothing about this almond tree is of norm. The world thinks they can predict our God. But here's the thing. We serve a God who is unpredictable. We serve a God who can make nothing out of, uh, you know, uh, who can make everything out of nothing. We serve a God who is the God of impossible. The world thinks the first thing that needs to come out of the tree is the leaves. But God says, I don't need the leaves for the bud to come out of the tree to blossom. When that thing opens up, the bud opens up, it says, oh my God, I'm here and I'm going to turn myself towards the heavens where the lights are coming from. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 11, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Jeremiah, at this point, needs an assurance. They're in Babylon. They're in captivity. And they're thinking to themselves, when am I going to go home? Right? And they need some assurance. And so he was asking God for that. And the Lord, in the verse 11, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, in a vision, what do you see, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah says, I see the branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, said to Jeremiah, right? The Lord said to me, you shall you have seen well, for I'm ready to perform my word. Really, the thing is that when I did that reading and I started to research because it wasn't making sense, and then when I kept, you know, researching this area, what is God saying? Where is this almond tree came into picture when this prophet is looking for an assurance, right? 
the the true meaning of al or the the the, the almond in in Hebrew is 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 shaked shaked. It's the word the the word shaked, right? Which is the same word used for keeping his word, shaked, s h a k e d, shaked. What is God saying to Jeremiah? Jeremiah, what do you see there? He says, "I see a branch of shaked." Right? And then God's playing with his words, and he's saying to him, "Yeah, yeah. You have seen it well. That's right. In fact, you know, I'm going to perform my word. I'm going to." Perform shaked as well. I'm going to do what I have promised to do. When he saw the almond trees, right? It it was a sign of expectation. It was a sign, like a pregnant woman ready to give birth. Before the woman gives a birth to a new life, she's given a sign, and then she becomes pregnant. And that thing starts to get formed into her body, and when the the spring is about to come, Almond's also known as the watchman of the spring because this is the first one comes out. God is saying that I'm ready to perform what I've told you, what I've promised to you. I've promised to you a new child. I've promised to you a business. I've promised to you. A good marriage. I promise to you a good health. I promise to you a good future. I promise to you something that the world cannot promise. I'm here to end the mess. When he raised his son from the dead, Isaiah 64:4. I love this word. It says, "Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived." By the ear, nor has the eyes seen any God besides me, who acts for the one who wait for Him. God says, "When you wait for me, I will act on your behalf." When when Jeremiah saw that vision, God was telling Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, don't worry about that future of yours. I'm here to perform what I've already ordained, what I have told you. I'm a God of a promise. I will make sure that I will do exactly what I told you that I will do. Then, so we have seen so far two things. We have seen. All those symbols that made out inside that were pointing to the word of God. Right? We have seen this almond blossoms that he's using is referencing to you and me. He is the God who will provide. He is a God who performs on your behalf and my behalf. He is a God who can make things happen. As long as we are ready to wait, he says, "I will perform my word." That's what those almond blossoms are signifying. Now, 
we see seven lamps, right? That's burning. Seven is a number referenced so many times in the Bible. And the, the scholars believe that seven is a, a God of completion or completeness. The theologians say seven refers to perfection. Seven refers to completeness and uh, the entire state. It's like a full, right? In the book of Revelations, uh, we see seven used so many times, seven lamps, seven spirits, seven churches, seven lampstands, seven seals, seven horns, seven eyes, seven trumpets, seven bowls of plague, seven thunders. So it's always like there's something about the seven that refers to in the whole Bible as a symbol of completion, right? When you take this light and God is speaking to us through this light, he has spoken uh, uh, in, in Revelations. Uh, when, when we read the book of Revelation, several times God is referring to this seven candlesticks. Uh, uh, in, in Revelation chapter 4, Verses 5, he says, from the throne room comes flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. In fact, the first chapter of Revelations, I'm going to encourage you to read the entire book of Revelations when you get a chance. In fact, later, after we finish the tabernacle, we'll actually go to Revelations and we'll pick up these seven churches um, that God is talking about. But here's the thing. In Revelations chapter 1, verses 20, it says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Here, he's comparing those seven stars and these seven lamps stands that we see here are referring to the different characteristics of churches that God is referring to. In those days when the, the, the Bible was written, they had like a seven major churches in the Asia Minor. And God is referring to them is what the people thought. But no. When we take all the churches in the world, we can actually place them in one of these seven characteristics. Each of those churches, you know, perform and act even today. The seven different, you know, attitudes of the church, the seven different attributes of the church, seven differences that we can place in each of these churches that are there. We have like a millions of churches across the world. But if we categorize them, we can easily categorize them into those seven churches that God is talking about because there is a reason why God is referring to the lampstands, those seven, to those seven churches. And, and the thing is this, this morning, I'm here to say, even those lights that are there in those seven lamps represents the faithfulness of God. 
when they transport these, because in those days, this tabernacle, when it was written, right, the tabernacle was like a tent that they can actually tear down and take it to the next place. That's why everything was just like a made out of cloth and uh, wood and stick so they can just like a quickly roll as they move to the next place from Mount Sinai, uh, the, the, the foothills of Mount Sinai to the next place when they move. They move the temple around. And what was so fascinating about the seven lights, the light that's burning, right? When God gave an instructions later in Leviticus, when we, uh, you know, when we read, we see that God is saying to them, right? When you're taking, carrying this from one place to the other, don't just take the light and start walking. Cover the light with the blue cloth, which represents the faithfulness of God. And I was thinking to myself, this faithfulness of God is so real in your life and my life. How many times God shows up in your life and my life, right? In fact, uh, you know, there is an instruction given to the children of Israel when he was talking about like how they should carry and everything. He says to Moses, command the children of Israel that they may bring unto thee pure oil, olive beaten for the light, and caused the lamps to burn continually in the tabernacle of the congregation. They shall, and shall Aaron's order it from the evening unto the morning before the Lord continually. So it's talking about the continuous light, the seven lights that are burning on top of it, right? And the thing is this, when I saw that seven lights, there, there in, the, in the Jewish tradition, there are two sets of lights, and those numbers were not matching. One of those having seven branches, or the seven lights, right? The other one has nine lights. And I was thinking, what is this, God? Is it seven or nine, right? And later, during the November, December, the Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah. Hanukkah. It's also called the Festival of Lights. And when they do that, they actually have nine candlesticks, or the nine lampstands, compared to the seven that uh, the tabernacle is talking about in Exodus. What is this difference? What is this seven versus nine? Why did these Jewish people just start to compl- you know, completely change between seven and nine? If God says seven, why don't you guys stick with the seven, right? Then when I started to read about them, I realized there was a period in the, you know, 164 B.C., the Greeks were taking over the world and they were building the temple for Jesus and they captured the tabernacle, the temple built by Solomon and they were just like making a mockery of the temple and they would even offer the pigs, uh, uh, swine, as an offering to God and they were just like, you know, tormenting the Jewish people. 
And so there was some Jewish revolt happened under the leadership of Maccabees, and they captured the temple and they were rededicating it. When they were rededicating the temple, they did not have enough oil to burn the light. This is where the faithfulness of God comes in. In fact, they had oil only to burn for one night. And they were wondering, my goodness, Leviticus says this light, these seven lamps have to be burning. And if only I have an oil for just one night, and it will take nearly seven to eight days before they can get some additional olives to make an oil, press it and get that into an oil state and pour it, it will take seven, eight days. But they only had an oil for one night, right? When they poured that one night's oil and lit the, the light on those seven lampstands, what happened was the light kept burning. This is the faithfulness of God. For the first day, then the second day, then the third day, then the fourth day, then the fifth day, then the sixth day, then seven and eight days, those lights were burning with just a one night's worth of oil that they had. And the thing is this, when they saw the blessing and the goodness and the faithfulness of God, they just wanted to remember the faithfulness of God. That's when they created the second menorah that represents the eight days of a blessing that God had. And so they had like one extra lamp that was just outside as a servant lamp that was used for lighting up these candles. That's how the nine lamps came into play. But here's the thing. That oil, that light that was burning, you know, in the second century before Christ was showing the faithfulness of God. I don't know what you're praying for today. God is saying, when you take care of my lamp, when you take care of the things of my ordinance, my, 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 my chores, my vision, my, you know, calling, I am faithful to pour oil. We saw a couple of weeks, you know, God's work and God's way will get God's provision. If you and I are out there for God's, you know, mission, God is faithful enough to extend a one day's oil upon eight days. The thing is this, this oil that they're talking about has to be replenished every single day. Sometimes I've heard people talk about what they did for God 10 years ago, five years ago, one month ago, yesterday. God is not, you know, unpleased with what we did in those times, but God is saying every single day you need to pour the oil. You need to have a craving for the oil. You need to have the oil in your life to burn this light so bright because I'm the God of faithfulness. 
I know what you're going through. I know what you need. I know what I can do to perform. I'll perform. Here's the thing. The last piece that I saw was the hammered work. The hammered work. Why would God want to say, you know, take a gold and hammer them, right? When Solomon built the temple, he actually did like a, with luxurious, like a, when there is like a one lamp needed in his temple, he had like seven lamps, uh, seven lampstands of seven each. So he did like a, out of like a, uh, you know, the, uh, the lavishness uh, before God, which is not wrong. But God is, when he was trying to build a temple, he never used a hammer. While here, God is saying, hammer. Hammer those things, right? And the reason why God is referring to the hammer upon the gold, gold is the one element or the one metal that when you burn the gold, what goes in as the gold will come out as gold. No other metal will have the same composition maintained except gold. There are times in our life we feel like a God is just like a squeezing our throat or squeezing our hand or hammering, right? And the reason why is because God knows you and I are the gold that is going to be presented before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he knows when he hammers the gold, what's going to come out is still the gold. That's why when he writes in Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 11 and 2, my son, he's talking about my son, my daughter, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the father, as a father, the son in whom he delights. It's talking about like how God in his faithfulness, sometimes allow certain things to happen in our life like a hammer. It's just like a beating against the gold. He knows the gold's composition is not going to change just because there is a chastening happening to that gold. In Psalm 119, 75, it says, I know the psalmist is saying, David actually is saying, Oh Lord, that your judgments are right. And that is faithful, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 19, it says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. God is saying, If something is not working, you're just like being hammered. That's what happens to every one of us from time to time. God is saying, I know it's hurting but I know I need to bend you down a little bit. I need to squeeze that grape so I can get the wine out of it. I know I'm pressing your life, but know that this gold is still going to be the gold. In conclusion of this, there are two verses that I'm going to very quickly read from Matthew chapter 5:16. God says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father, your Father who is in heaven. 
in another place in Isaiah chapter 60, it says, Arise, shine. This is a command God is giving to you and me today. That I've told all these things, says the Lord. I've said all the things that I can tell you. But know this, all of that so that you can shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord arises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and the thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. My brothers and sisters in Christ, as I'm wrapping this up this morning, all I'm here to say is that the light that we saw today symbolizes nothing but the word of God. The light that we saw today that has an almond blossom is nothing but God's provision. God is a powerful, majestic, magnificent being that is coming into your life and my life is symbolized on that light. The seven light not only is just like the seven talks about the completion, but the seven also talks about his faithfulness in your life and my life. And finally, you know, we being the gold made for his glory. If he hammers your life and hammers my life, if only we can yield to his hammering, he can use us for his glory. In fact, the whole Bible ends in the book of Revelation, the last chapter of the book. John saw this vision. This is the last piece of the vision that John saw. And he wrote, he says, in chapter 22, and he showed me a pure river of water of life here is crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the lamp in the middle of its streets. And in either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruit, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healings, healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them the light, and they shall reign forever and ever. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are going to see him face to face one day. We are going to see the light of God in that throne room shining so bright, his glory shining so bright that we don't need any more light from the sun. He is going to be our light. And the Bible says, uh, you know, that when sun sets you free, you are free indeed. We are not looking for a future for him to show the light. You and I have them in our hand. 
Every single day, we have an access to pour that oil into that lamp that will bright, shining bright, not only upon you, but also upon the people that we come in contact with. Praise the Lord. Brother Vince. Thank you, Cyril. Thank you for <clears throat> your knowledge. Thank you for the Spirit's message through you today. And uh, we're grateful. I've learned uh, m- much from uh, the lampstand and its significance to the Jewish life and to Israel. Uh, God's Word is the blueprint. And we must follow His blueprint because He gives us so much detail. The number seven and the almonds because it is the light and we must follow his blueprint and he's omniscient he knows the number of hairs on our head he knows the number of grains of sand he knows what's best for us because he's created us so he gives these instructions for the lampstand because he knows us better than anyone else and we must follow him just like the high priest needed the light for their direction in the holy of holies we must take care of this light with precision. He gives us those that blueprint because we meet, we must read the word every day. We must follow his blueprint with precision and not and take it very seriously. Thank you for the almond blossoms. And if anyone has time today, go online and look at different uh, examples of menorah and the lampstand. It's fascinating to look online and to see what they look like, a uh, visual of it, and the blossoms that he controls life even when things look dead. I mean, that was fascinating, how, he, how our God uses almonds. Um, we serve a God of the impossible, that he can make something out of nothing. Sheked, when Jeremiah says, Sheked, a sign of expectation, how we should be living our life with expectation because we serve a God who makes something out of nothing. And he is a God who performs as long as we are willing to wait, which is very difficult for us as human beings to wait patiently for him, wait patiently for anything. Are you craving for the light and the oil as he hammers hammers us on a daily basis into molding us into his image? Amen. Ms. Sarah? Amen. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, rebellion, or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children, having received you in our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid covers us for all time, and our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread, representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who will receive you. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life, abundant life, now and eternal life forever. 
we receive this bread in remembrance of you. And in the same way, we take this cup representing your blood poured out from a splintered cross. You are the supreme sacrifice for all of our sin, past, present, and future. Today, we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you spill. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Just as that prayer is a constant reminder for you and me, every single day, it is the time for us to just like a humble ourselves and just this 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 bread and the drink that we're going to have in a few seconds from now is just a remembrance. God says in First Corinthians, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What Jesus did on that cross is just a, just a fascinating thing that we may not even with our human mind can understand what really he did when he went to that rugged cross. God saying, I'm offering my body to clothe your body. I'm offering myself to you. Go ahead and connect it and intertwine your body with my body. When we take that bread this morning, know this, just like what the words Messiah said, don't let this bread go into your body without knowing there was a blood and the brokenness that was shed on that rugged cross. Go ahead and take the elements of bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the elements of drink because it's the remembrance of his blood. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Father, we come before your throne of grace one more time this morning. As we surrender ourselves, God, I pray for everyone that is on the line, all my brothers and sisters, including me, Father God. We cover ourselves with your body and your blood. That, Father, wherever we go, let your presence go before us. Whatever we do, let your will be done. Father God, let this week be a week of testament for every one of us. We surrender ourselves. Father, I pray for anyone that is on the line or requested prayer. That you are a God who heals. 
You are the God who restores. You are the God who makes things when things no longer exist. God, make something new out of every one of us, Lord. We surrender ourselves into your mighty hands. God, you take the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, for your glory. Amen. The conference has been unmuted. Have an amazing week. Hope this word has been a blessing for you and that this word will go before you this week. Amen. Amen. Everybody have a blessed week. Yes, you too. Enjoy your week.